Hello, and welcome to episode 145 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories one page and one panel at a time. In this episode, we have a review of Pulp by Image Comics, released on July 29th, 2020, written by Ed Brubaker with art by Sean Phillips and coloring by Jacob Phillips. Max Winters, a pulp writer in the 1930s New York, finds himself drawn into a, a story not unlike the tales he churns out for five cents a word. Tales of old Wild West outlaws dispensing justice with a six gun, but Max may not be able to pursue them and bank robbers with Nazi spies and enemies from the past. One part thriller, one part meditation and life and violence. This is your spoiler for Pulp by Image Comics. And this is Matt, and I'm joined by Constructing Comics co-host Noah. Hey there, Max Winter dies at the end. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> and uh, we're also joined again by Chris Barkham, who just wrapped up a successful Kickstarter campaign on Superior Sam Takes a Knee. Hey guys, thanks for having me back on again. And spoiler alert, he's dying in the beginning of the book. That's true. He's dying throughout the whole dang book. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. So, Chris, as our special guest, why don't you lead us off with uh, some of your initial thoughts on the book? Oh, I loved the book. I thought this was great. And what I've taken to doing lately with anything Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips, is I order it sight unseen. Mm -hmm. I trust them so much at a create as a creative team now that I don't even bother to to read the description. I just buy it. So I had no idea what I was getting with this. And the fact that you get a western set in, you know. My, you know, 1940, you know, 1900s, you know, kind of spy story going on, you know, bank robbery story. And then you get like a sympathetic side of the whole story. Like I was blown away that they were able to combine so much into one book and make it all work so well. It's not even like full graphic novel length. It's like, like maybe a hundred pages, you know, it, it's so impressive just to see how much of a story they were able to cram into such a short book. Yeah, yeah it feels like it's more than one type of st one story going on at any point. And then the art is gorgeous. The colors are gorgeous. And they work so well with the setting for the story. Yeah, so true. Well, yeah, that was the thing I was really appreciating. I didn't get to reread it all today. But Jacob Phillips's colors really give the glossy pages a pulpy feel with the texture underneath especially when you cut to the stories or the flashbacks of max there's this great uh like uh you can almost like see that it's sort of layered with this like pulpy texture in the background not so much like filling in your typical like filling in the pages in like typical colors but more like these gradient like fades throughout the whole page, uh, it's, it's such a great effect. And then, then that contrast with sort of the more traditional comic book coloring in the, in the current state or the current timeline um, with Max following Max and Jeremiah. Yeah, and one thing with the uh, the flashback scenes, the, uh, the the pulpy stories is a lot of times, or if not all the times, uh, Max is the only one that's sort of like in solid color, and, yeah. and some of the other secondary characters are not uh, fully colored in. So it's a way of sort of uh, focusing us focusing on them, and then sort of like representing them as like you know memories of the past they're not fully they're not fully flushed out or you know fully rendered and stuff like that so I, I really enjoyed that as well yeah I did too one thing I liked also is um the the book is uh is bookended or sort of like it's foreshadowed at the beginning like the heist is with the first uh pulp story that Max writes 
so it's all about uh you know uh there's one guy who's sort of uh like trying to get his friend out of a out of a situation and his friend is injured mm-hmm. and the other guys are trigger happy and shooting everybody on the way out um and that's sort of like in that in that scenario max at the beginning is jeremiah when they get to the heist where he's just like jeremiah's just blasting guys away and max is injured and like trying to like just survive the moment in order to get out of the situation. So on second reading, I noticed that and I was like, oh, that's cool foreshadowing uh, for what's going to happen. Yeah, and I thought also the, the, the time period, the way they, they, they pick the dates that it was, when you think about sort of American history, that this guy could have lived sort of that, that, that pioneer lifestyle sort of at the end of that that time frame, you know, being kind of young and then sort of growing up and, and being in that uh, pre-World War II America's involvement in it, just to think about the 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 swing of things that would have happened in, you know, the, 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 the 40 to 50 years in that sort of time frame to go from that rural setting, being a cowboy to, to, to being a guy in Manhattan or New York, uh, you know, just prior to, uh, you know, World War World War Two or the U.S. Uh, entering World War Two. Yeah, to have the contrast of like the end of the end of westward expansion with Depression era New York is brilliant. And and then that's another great thing about the colors too is that uh, like to distinguish it, there's like a warmer palette with the pulpy side of things, and then there's a colder palette with the Manhattan side of things. I really like that choice. Yeah, and I think another another thing that's probably subtle that I want to notice too was if you really wanted a sense of the era, when he's describing the medical technology, like going to the doctor when he was younger to when he's there now, you know, after he's had the heart attack, I think that really puts it in perspective too, what this guy has kind of lived through as well. Because we've all heard those stories, you know, and gone to school when you heard about, you know, the American Civil War and you hear about the doctors killing more people than the actual battlefields did. And, you know, he's reminiscing about that, but then he's also like, yeah, you know, the, it's better now, but it's not also great either, so. Yeah, well, and also just as far as, like, uh, a time where it couldn't be worse to be someone with bad health, mm-hmm. you know? It's uh, it's like, or to be, like, an old man who can't afford to take care of himself or the people that he loves, Um adding to that element of desperation. So that's sort of one of the great things about this book is that you get his situation really fast just by the context of the time so that when he makes the choice to rob Nazis, you're like, yeah, go ahead. That kind of thing. Like you deserve it. (laughs) Like with all the stuff you're going through and what you've been through. It's like, yeah, rob those Nazis for us. Well, they set it up pretty well too, because especially like when his page rate is reduced. Yeah. And then you're hearing like, you know, that he had, you know, all he wants is for his wife to have a place after he's gone because he's now realized that, you know, he's coming to the end of his life. And yeah, you're just basically like, yep, let's go for this robbery. This is yep. going to be awesome. Like, it's not often you're sitting there, especially me as an ex-cop going, man, I really hope this robbery goes off well. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. And uh, one scene, like, I mean, each scene is really memorable in its own right. But uh like the the one scene where he's about to rob without Jeremiah, you're almost you're on board at that point too. Uh, especially after just they they take a they take like three scenes in a row to show 
how embarrassed he is to be alive, you know, to have, to go from having a heart attack, then to go back to trying to sell his stories and to find out that he's replaced, which I think is sort of, uh, it looks like the first maybe like Easter egg to another Brubaker Phillips thing because uh, the uh, the editor's nephew, Sidney, looks like um, the guy from The Fade Out, doesn't he? It could be, but I also, like I told you guys in the pre-show when we were talking, I got a very Stan Lee reference from this. Oh, really? Because Marvel, you know, had brought Stan Lee in you know, as this writer to do these books for significantly cheaper than what they were paying the other talent for. And then if you've ever looked into comics history, when World War II came up, they had these guys doing file cabinets and closets full of art and stories in advance. So, cause they knew they were going to get shipped off or they um, were going to volunteer to go early. So they wanted to keep it still going. But I took this as a kind of a shot, you know, at Stan Lee in a way of like, this is how Marvel operates. They kind of screw you over, you know, just to go with the cheapest, which a lot of people say now Marvel does the same thing. When you get too expensive, they cut you out or they don't give you your shares of what you're owed, you know, and they go forward even nowadays still. And that was the other thing too, was another reference to that was the check comment when he's like, didn't you read the back of it? And if yeah. you remember, that was the big debate with Jack Kirby. That was the big date big debate with um, Superman was when they cashed that check, that check basically said that they, they didn't own it anymore. Mm -hmm. That wow. would work for hire. So this, I looked at that as a huge shot across the board at that. So that's a and, really good point. And I think sort of, and I may have names wrong here, but I think even like Martin Goodman, who might've been sort of the, the, the owner of uh, probably timely comics at that point, like, sort of brought his annoying nephew in to, to do a job. And, you know, he was the guy sort of at first that was like running around sweeping the floors, but then he eventually sort of makes his way up uh, due, to, due to the family connection. So I think that even sort of falls in line with, with that narrative as well. Wow. That's how that goes. Cause Mark Goodman owned Timely, which turned into Marvel and everything. And he, you know, the way I, I think I've heard it either from the Kirby, one of the Kirby biographies or one of the other history comics histories is that um, Stan Lee's mother who asked, you know, hey, he needs a job and they gave him a job. And then if you go further back into like the Jack and Joe Simon, Captain America stuff, they actually thought Stan Lee was spying on them. And actually was the one that sold them out when they were going to leave Mar, you know, timely at the time to go over to DC for a period, to, you know, when they were working on the side, mm -hmm. wow. they accused him of being the one that like, you know, sold them out to their uncle, to his uncle. Sorry. So um, we were talking a little bit about the story. And as Noah said, we sort of, uh, we sort of start off with uh, a flashback to, to a story that parallels uh, later in the story. And we've talked a little bit about um, Max meeting with the editor, you know, telling him that, uh, you know, he wants some changes to the story. And we meet the nephew. Um, and things continue to sort of go bad for, for Max from, from there. Um, and then Max goes to, to the movies with, uh, with his, uh, is, is it his wife or is just his lady friend at this point? I don't really specify if it's, if it's his wife or just someone that sort of takes care of him. And 
like there's sort of a romantic vibe between them, but I don't think he ever specifies if it's his wife or not. Yeah. Um, uh, but one thing I thought was interesting about that scene with the editor telling him what to change about the story is that like, we don't want to see him settle down in Mexico. In other words, like we don't want to see him like become, have like a peaceful life. We want to see him like get in shootouts and kill people, which is basically the end of this story. Like the story arrives at that point where it's <laughs> yeah. like, Max realizes he's like, oh, that's right. I don't want to settle down. I want to kill the Nazis, that kind of thing. And it's like, so that's another cool bit of foreshadowing there. And it's also sort of like telling the audience, it's like, no, you don't want to see this guy settle down. You want to see him go out in a blaze of glory. And that was another too. That's another comics history kind of section in there because they talk about, you know, the early comic books and how they always just wanted action, action, action. Yeah. And that's why they said the comics of the late 70s, 60s, 70s that Marvel put out connected more with people because they actually built character development. Mm -hmm. And this was another like Martin Goodman kind of thing where he just wanted action because that's what he thought sold. You know, so that was another little kind of, I guess, Easter egg-ish kind of thing. Yeah, like, I mean, that's something that, that's, that's Brubaker to a T though. Like he's so, and he's like, he could... He probably has. He probably will just write a straight history of pulp in comics and everything like that off of like all the essays he's written. If someone just compiled that, it would be an exhaustive knowledge of that history. Like even like he, he takes any time he can to sort of like reference uh, sword and sorcery stuff like Conan in all his books and like including this one, they reference Robert E. Howard at one point. And yeah, so like that's like no doubt, like I can kind of almost take what, this representation of this time in pulp writing as gospel because Brubaker is so like, is such an expert on that time. And I would say Phillips to an extent too. So uh, from there um, we sort of moved the, 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 the story along where they are in the movie theater. And, uh, you know, as in that time, you sort of got the newsreel before the movie so then we sort of get uh, a little bit more like world development where, uh, you know, the, the, the footages of uh, Hitler walking and there's these, these two fools that are sort of cheering on, on Hitler. Um, so uh, one thing I found interesting there was uh, you can sort of, and again, we, you know, we sort of hint at politics, but we don't really get really deep into politics here, but what I found was interesting was you could draw a lot of parallels um, to today with, uh, with what's going on in, the, in that movie theater. So I thought that was, a, that was, a, that was an interesting way to, to do that. Sort of more things change, the more they, they stay the same sort of thing that we have going on there. Yeah, one of the, yeah, like the interesting thing is that like, and again, historical also um, things that people don't, don't really address because we're Americans and we don't want to feel bad about things. Um, but to them talking about, like she, she brings up, she's like, you know, they're here in New York referring to the Nazis, you mm -hmm. know, and that being the, the big thing where it's like, no, there was a huge, not a huge, but there was a Nazi presence in the United States of people who supported uh, Nazi Germany um, at this, at the same time. And that's uh, that was a cool thing again, to set it in that, to set it during this time, um, basically to have the, the pulpy setup of a cowboy versus Nazis, like, but then to go 
and like to base that in reality to where like the um, the math of the time adds up is really brilliant and uh so that it's not it's it's a very pulpy setup but it's not a pulpy delivery i guess in a classic go ahead chris no you're good no, I just think I just this is really quick. And a classic trope with, with comics is, you know, it's always, not always, but you know, it's it's just if you need a bad guy, throw 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 the Nazis in there. They're they're yes. they're 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 a good bad guy to have throughout uh, throughout comic books. You can so. do whatever you want to them, and no one will feel bad. Yeah, yeah. Chris, you were going to say something. No, I was just going to say, yeah. I mean, this really, you know, it's a classic Brubaker Phillips kind of combining all the different pulp errors mm-hmm. that they like to write about, but you get them all in one this time. I think yeah. the only thing you really didn't get in this one was the classic Hollywood era that they like to do as well. So there's even a movie theater, though. Yeah, so, like you even get sort of a nod to that classic thing. Yeah, um, but not like they don't really go into like movie history or or anything, which is also like I love the fade out. The fade out's just a great graphic novel and it goes through that the studio system at the time so well and it represents it so well um what i like about uh what on the on the page after the pages after he leaves the theater there's a that there's a double page spread of um flashback sequences and panels mm-hmm. and the last panel is him lighting his cigar with a with a dollar bill which I'm guessing that's a reference to Incognito. I, I'm, I'm guessing probably. Um, I can't imagine that that's not a nod to that cover. That or it's like the common bad guy thing. Like you've got all the money and you're like, look, I can just smoke it. But it's also kind of ironic because later in life, you know, he's struggling for money and there he is yeah. just burning it. So. Yeah, it serves the story and it's also a very clever Easter egg. That's really great. Yeah. And um, I love also then, some great uh match cuts on that thing that scene you you turn the page and he's smoking in an alleyway that's a really cool uh uh sort of uh match cut uh, to the next page yeah so with these with these pages um the the pages prior to to the the two-page flashback is when uh max is starting to see a, a cash delivery and start of getting the the thoughts of, of putting together a heist of his own so we sort of see the the wheels turning there yeah and this is a again very uh very brubaker and phillips to have like a, a robbery scene planned out you know to go through it methodically which they're just really great at um but i love the twist at the end that basically he gets up there to start to do it and jeremiah stops him and that's where it's like halfway through the book and this is sort of where the main plot kicks off right here, um, which I really like that, like to, to have a, a large chunk of the story to be developing your main character so that we really sympathize with him. And uh, then now when the story begins to just like take off at full speed, we really do care what happens to Max going forward. Um, but they also do some great storytelling work with Jeremiah going forward, also developing his character. And I think that's important too, is how fast they actually make you like, like Jeremiah and feel for him in his situation. Like they do that incredibly fast with. Really important storytelling aspect as well. I also think he kind of is, uh, his, his sort of, um, uh, 
like his kindness towards Max at the beginning. Like he stops him out of like a genuine wanting to, like it seems genuinely like he's concerned about him. You know, when he's about to rob the bank, like he definitely, he stops him because he knows that Max would get killed in this robbery. And uh, that endears you to Jeremiah's character immediately because we've been endeared to Max throughout this whole time. We care about him. We don't want to see him screw up. So to see Jeremiah step in and sort of express that concern for him that we, the reader, are having is a really quick way to endear, really quickly endears us to Jeremiah. Well, I can tell you personally, too, like that really connected with me because, like I said, you know, if you've heard the other podcasts, you know I have a law enforcement background. And when you start to really engage with, you get to know some of these people really well, even if you've never met them, Mm -hmm. by just, you know, the circumstances, the file work that you're reading on them, the people that you meet that know them, you almost feel you have that personal connection with them, even though you might have never met them. And then even if you have met them, you have that kind of like responsibility thing in a way, like you're like, hey, you're going to do something stupid. And usually they listen to you if that makes any sense or that, you know, because they're like, well, this person knows me pretty well. And that's what Mm -hmm. you get because you'll learn Jeremiah was a Pinkerton that had chased Max around, you know, and everything. So, and they even talk about like how Max, one of the, it's kind of a spoiler. He doesn't actually care that Jeremiah killed one of his, you know, the members of their little posse. Well, then didn't Max kill one of his partners as well no no it's it was it was uh yeah it was it was jeremiah killed the posse and max says like uh he was an asshole or something like that i can't remember something and I funny like that, that was something too that was really yeah. clever was you thought max might you know because he was a robber you know and you you'd feel bad for him and he talks about too like how he was known as the charming one of the group yeah and then he's talking about this other guy and that's something too that you see is in you know the criminal world there's a hierarchy and how max is you know a step above the guy that gets killed because that's a guy that you know just purely likes to hurt people and you know how he talked about he was going to rape somebody one time mm-hmm. and i thought that was a brilliant tie-in to what was going on currently with that storyline of how you've got the nazis like you know when he's talking about how just bad people are bad people no matter what you do for them and I thought that was a brilliant little tie-in with the people that they're going to rob. Like, you just don't feel bad at all. So. Yeah, the line was that, yeah, so Jeremiah apologizes for shooting um, Lonnie, which they actually have a, uh, that's the flashback at the beginning, right? Where he has, where he talks about the guy getting shot off. Or was a different, that was a different person. That was his brother. That was his shot. brother because yeah, that's where he gets into the crime. Yeah, that's what it was. Okay, yeah. That's what it was. But yeah, no, I like uh, also having um, a young uh, a young girl being sort of the reason. That's also a quick endearing thing. Like, you know, a guy wanting to protect a, a young person. You know, that that's, the, that's what's at stake here is uh, a young woman's well-being um, with her Nazi husband or, or brother. It's her brother. And- her brother, yeah. Yeah, and like her brother who abuses her and uh, so Jeremiah wanting to, one, get back at him, and then eventually uh, kill him, um, is very, uh, you, can be, you can empathize with that a lot. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing. They do a great job getting you to empathize with those two characters. 
Yeah. Like, those guys could do pretty much anything, and you're not going to feel bad for what they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's again, that's a Brubaker Phillips strength because I mean, I, I after I read this, I went back and reread the first volume of um, of uh, Killer Be Killed, which that guy is like the biggest loser in the world, or even something like the Fade Out, same guy. Like you know, this guy's like awful, you know, not like in, a, in an evil way, but just in an awful person kind of way, um, where he just makes so many selfish decisions, but you don't want to see him lose, and. Uh, yeah, like, well, yeah, My Heroes Have Always Been Junkies, what, what Chris just held up. I haven't read that yet, but the title says it right there, you know. Well, you really, you want to hate her, but then you'll end up liking her. Yeah. Like, and that's part of the problem with, like, some of those books. It's like, I'm, I'm not trying to spoil the book if you've not read it, but, like, you're going to hate her at the end of this book, but you're going to like her as well, which is kind of a struggle with it. Yeah. It's a... Uh... It's a very like it's a very hard thing to do is to endear someone to a, endear the reader to a flawed person is mm-hmm. a tough thing, yeah. But he like I mean, but Brubaker made his career out of that with like the Winter Soldier, so like it's no surprise that he's able to do that. Yeah. So uh, you know we 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 talked about uh, Max and uh, Jeremiah sort of making their plans and they 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 go. Um, we get a little bit of backstory with uh, the brother uh, who's abusive towards his sister. Um, you know, they, they sort of stake out some more of the, uh, the, the crime scenes that they want to, to take out. Um, and then they sort of finally commit to, to, to going into this, uh, to this building when everybody else is off at the, uh, at the protest. Um, so what do you guys think about the, the sort of, um, I feel like it's in a way it's sort of like the classic, you know, uh, we're, we're not getting the team together because the team's already together, but it's sort of like get the team together and then sort of, you know, this is our guy who does this. This is our guy who does this. You know, we have the typical uh, sort of push pin board with the things tacked to it that they're sort of making their plans. What, what did you think about that? I really like that. And I think my favorite part was it, whereas you think Max is like, the heart you know he's supposed to be like the trigger man of this whole group and then you find out it's jeremiah that's yeah. you know i got no problem shooting anybody telling anybody what to do like and you've got max kind of like sitting there you know when it goes on like kind of bewildered like yeah. wait there's no money in these boxes what and like he knows the bait and switch has gone on now mm-hmm. so we, we, yeah. we talked a little bit about jacob phillips's uh coloring here but I think what's neat here is is that uh, you know when they're in the 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 apartment building and they're they're doing it, it's sort of those cool uh, you know grays and blues. But as they're in the alley and they're getting ready to take you know you know do their do their move, take on the you know going into the to the to the headquarters, it shifts back to that sort of orangish red that we've always associated with the with the shootouts in the past and the and the yeah. cowboy action so i you know Noah and i talked about sort of in this podcast you know how the color is sort of helps us um you know feel the themes or the the shift in, in themes so they, they do that here yeah definitely that's a very good point i didn't even yeah that's a really good analysis there um yeah i like how uh uh, like well, building off of what Chris said, uh, you never see, you never see Max fire his weapon um, during this whole sequence. So that when we get to the end, 
that makes it like the bigger impact, you know? Uh, because if he was sort of like, I, I think it would, if he was sort of a, a trigger happy person, his final act wouldn't have been as meaningful in the, um, at the end of the story. Uh, mm. But I, I do like how he, there's almost a role reversal again to what, what he was used to where he was always the, the energetic one, you know, the young guy who was full of energy and gung ho, but he's sort of the, the adult in this scenario. Um, yeah, it's really great. And you guys caught that they gave him a red bandana, right? Yeah. Color coding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome. just so you still know that who it is. Yeah. Like, I thought that was a subtle little move. He didn't get the red shirt, but, you know, it's still him because he's rocking that red. Yeah, that's really great. Um, and uh, also, I like that there's, again, this is the second twist in a heist where uh, you get to it and there's no money which is I think a very brilliant mo- like a brilliant move on uh on, on their part where like you know uh Max realizes oh I was I was uh I was being played um like I was just a pawn in a larger game basically that Jeremiah is playing at the end of this sequence and I thought they also the way they went into that second heart attack yeah like you can kind of see like the blackout going, but I thought those panels really like sucked you because you can still kind of see what's going on, but then it's just like, boom, you know that he's had another heart attack. Like I thought that was a really good use of not only Phillips's, well, I shouldn't say Phillips like that, but Sean Phillips's art, but also Jacob Phillips's colors to really make that those panels work like that. I like the choice to blur out the, the letters they do this in this scene and they also did it earlier as well that's always a that's such a cool effect and uh again it's very uh it's very visceral because you can almost hear it you know in your in your like that's such a cool trick that you're seeing it but you're also hearing it at the same time and uh it sort of plays games with your minds in a way but it, it works really well uh it's a very cinematic thing to do in in a comic uh, but it, and it, but it's very, but at the same time, it's very, uh, it's it just it's in line with what comics can do. It's it's a great choice. Yeah, so I think there's been like a couple of things I've noticed uh, on this this second go around through it is there's sort of been two sort of moments of uh, increasing tension. Um, once was when Max was going to go at the the bag man outside the movie theater, and we sort of build up and then. Jeremiah steps in and slows us down really quick. And here we go into this gunfight, um, you know, with Max and it's, you know, this build up for Max. And then again, Jeremiah sort of pulls everything back and we slow down again. And we're like, there's no, there's no money here. He's, he's here for, for some other reason. So there's two like really uh, quick moments of, of building tension that all of a sudden Jeremiah sort of spikes us back down to you know a low point or sort of like a major plot development um and you know we've sort of known that his heart is this ticking time bomb um throughout the thing and it it comes to the you know pay off in the story again yeah that's a very good point that makes jeremiah's demise all the more important later because it's again stopping max from being the gunslinger you know, his existence in the story is stopping him from being that person again. And uh, in the end, he gets to be fulfilled as that, that cowboy. Um, 
but yeah, I really like, uh, I like the double cross in a way. And I think that there's, a um, that there's like something bigger going on there. And, uh, it's sort of like a bigger victory in the end against the, the Nazi presence in the United States. Yeah. And I think the double cross too really works because even in the end of the double cross, you still like Jeremiah. Oh yeah. It's a very noble double cross. (laughs) Yeah. Like, don't think that it's just a double cross and you're not going to like the guy at the end. Like, no, this was one of those things where he's like, this is the best I can do for you. Here's the house and the $8,000. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. like, and, and that Max is happy with that. Like he, you know, Mm -hmm. he realizes, and I thought it was brilliant that they show him like recovering at the house and everything. And then he reads what Jeremiah did. And now he knows what he's done because that's something that we didn't talk about was why Jeremiah wasn't a Pinkerton anymore. Yeah. And how, you know, when he points out what his last name is, Mm -hmm. which I thought really endured, you know, even to that more was, you know, it's that, oh, you know, this was a Jewish guy, you know, getting back at the Nazis Mm -hmm. before we even knew what they were doing. Like, there's just no pity because, you know, and I thought that was a brilliant piece the way they had done that. So, and then if you didn't feel bad for Max, you know, because he talked about how he just wanted to go back to, and you'll have to forgive me, I forgot what the name of his, um, his main buddy was, was it Spike? Spike, yeah. But he was like, you know, I just wanted to visit Spike's grave one last time, but I'm not going back to Mexico. Mm -hmm. But, you know, he realizes like Max pulled this, you know, Jeremiah pulled this off. So he goes to visit him. And that's where it sets up kind of the final act of the story. Yeah. I really like that. And I like that. Um, I like in the end that um, his, uh, um, his partner is taken care of, you know, so that Max can be at peace in the end. Um, well, like, you know, at least have some sense of peace that he's actually done what, what was most important to him, which was to take care of the person that had been taking care of him. So the, the story could end right there, which is, uh, I think that's very interesting. But again, having the, the, the book be sort of bookended with the ending, like, you know, at the beginning where you see Frank covered in blood and uh, talking about all the times he died, like almost died, uh, you kind of are like, still there's still that despair, that kind of thing that like things are gonna get worse even when things look like it's going to get better. Um, I don't know if you guys kind of like felt that like throughout these scenes, but I definitely felt like, oh, there's still this sense of despair. What well, thing too, if really you've ever read a Brubaker book, you know, it's never ending on a happy note. No, exactly. Like, nobody's going to be happy. So like that would be the ultimate kind of like, ha ha, I got you. But it was like, <laughs> one, I, I can already see there's still some more pages. And two, you don't do happy endings. Yes, or not not the happy ending that you want. Yeah, yeah, and then that leads us in, I guess, to the final development with um, uh, with Jeremiah. Yeah. So Max, as as we said, he sort of puts all the pieces together when he reads the the news article, and he's he's going to go, he's going to go visit him, and and then that's when he discovers that he has. Uh, an untimely death by by falling down down the stairs. Yeah. yeah, which even he knew wasn't what happened. Like he knew right where to go for that one. So yeah, knew exactly. It just was too coincidental, and uh, 
but also this sort of uh i like how frank and not frank sorry max then takes it on himself to uh take on jeremiah's quest basically to take down these nazis when he starts talking to the uh the little the, the, the young woman who was being abused well, too, I also kind of wonder, too, if at the same time, not only was he taking on Jeremiah's quest, but was he also taking on Jeremiah's side quest to kind of make her have a better life? Yeah. Mm-hmm. By, like, specifically going after this guy. Yeah. And that sort of, and that makes him empathize with Jeremiah because that's what he's been trying to do the whole time is make a better life for someone else, too. And doing whatever it takes to do that for that person, so... He's uh, automatic. He's linked through to Jeremiah through his past and having a shared past in a way, and that's sort of all they can look at, even though they were on opposite sides of the law. That they just they just immediately linked with each other because of their shared past, and right here they have shared goals. Where sure, there's legacy involved. There's uh, uh, there's right and wrong involved, but there's also an innocent person in the mix that needs to be taken care of. So he he empathizes with Jeremiah and he, he, he has no problem then filling in for Jeremiah in the end. And I think too, it also shows you the way they did the ending. There is no hesitation with Max this nope. time, mm-hmm. none whatsoever. Whereas in the robbery, I don't know if maybe there was a sense of hesitation or, you know, but he was over that, like whatever held him back this time, it, you know, the first time it didn't happen this time. Which, yeah, like all the robberies, all the infiltrations had several pages of buildup to get to that point. Here, it's like a third of the page is the buildup. He goes home, he gets his gun, he goes to kill Nazis. That's it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, like he he finds all of Jeremiah's, uh, like, research and everything, loads up his shotgun, and uh, just breaks into the the place where all the Nazis are hanging out. And uh, it's great. (laughs) It's really great. Yeah, and uh, just to sort of, we, we've talked about this uh, earlier, but it's sort of uh, a nice, not, not nice is not the right word, but it's sort of uh, a cyclical bringing us back to, to a gunfight. And even though we're sort of, you know, in 1930s, uh, you know, New York, we're sort of, you know, cowboys slinging lead around in, in the saloon here at the end, which is, you know, a, a great way to sort of tie everything up. And again, it's so rewarding that, it's it's like again like we talked about he's been stopped from drawing a weapon and being a gunfighter being a killer the whole time and this is when he like he gets to let loose and it makes the story beat that much more satisfying because it's been building up to this like we haven't been beaten over the head with max killing people up to this point like it's been saving this moment so that you get the full effect of what this means to the character in this final climactic scene where he's killing the Nazis. And, and if I recall correctly too, you don't see Max kill anybody prior to this. You've only heard that he, you know, and he, you only heard he kind of quasi got revenge on the people that killed his brother. You didn't even actually hear he was the trigger man on this one. You so kind of, that was think, something too, was they kept him kind of innocent in a way. Yeah. You kind of see him pointing guns at people, but yeah, I don't think you ever see him shooting someone outside of the opening story where that's like a fiction where you see him shooting someone, but yeah, you're right. Yeah. And then at the end, it, I, I had like a, an emotional effect at the end when they were crossed, like they're, they're alternating between 
flashbacks and the present time with Max. Like it was a, it was a very good, very satisfying uh, experience reading these last pages. I think that could sum up the whole book. I mean, I didn't leave that book wanting anything else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think what's interesting with the way um, they, you know, we have Max dying at the end and it's, 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 it's ending the book. It's ending Max's life in the story, but we, we sort of, we, I don't know the best way to, like, we don't really feel like bad about it because, you know, he had this heroic action and he also was sort of on borrowed time anyways. So like, you know, something, you know, it wasn't like he's, uh, you know, this, this upstanding citizen. Well, he, uh, that's not what I'm saying, but like, he's, like I said earlier, he's on, he's on borrowed time. So that death sort of doesn't have sort of the, the, the devastating sort of like, Oh, he, you know, he, he lost the gunfight and he died. We sort of knew the whole time that he was, he was on borrowed time, like I said earlier. So it's, it's, uh, I don't know if I'm, I'm phrasing it right, but it's sort of like a, a rewarding sort of, you know, and I guess him living that past, him going out that way as opposed to just sort of laying in a hospital bed and sort of withering away would not have been the way he wanted he wanted to go out yeah it's it reminds me of the movie um the shootist with john wayne if you've ever seen that film like it's it, that movie has a very similar premise where it's like an aging gunfighter who has cancer and he's trying to figure out like how he wants to go out if he wants to like die slowly to cancer or if he wants to go out killing the bad guys in the town um, this move, that movie uh, isn't very good on delivering on the themes like this book is, but it's very similar in that sense. And that's a very, uh, I guess an old West cowboy trope where it's like, you need to go out, like in order for you to have meaning as a cowboy, you need to go out in a hail of bullets. Yeah. And there's a cool thing with the splash page at the end, um, how he's framed. And it's like, you know, he doesn't blend into the background. It's very clear composition you get the sense of like his life having meaning in this final act versus the only other splash page in the book is at the beginning um, where he's walking away from the editor the first time. And he's like one of the, like he's just a face in the crowd when he's walking through downtown Manhattan. So his life doesn't have meaning. He's blending into the background. He's just another person. Mm -hmm. But here in the end, he finally gets to have uh, like, he gets to regain a sense of meaning and a, a sense of purpose in his life before he dies. So shortly after this book came out, I think the news came out that uh, it seems like going forward that we're gonna get uh, a couple of more books in this style, these sort of 60 to 80, 100 page hardcover um, stories. Um, Chris, as somebody who works at a, at a comic book shop, uh, do you find that people would be more excited for a self-contained uh, hardcover with about 60, 80, maybe 100 pages as opposed to coming in for, for three to four floppies to, to tell this story? I think so for this case, yeah. Because what we tend to get with a lot of customers that like miniseries is we get, they'll usually read issue one. If they like it, then they go, hey, I'm going to wait till it comes out in trade. Mm-hmm. So by doing this, they're kind of skipping that and you're just getting the book. I know me personally, I like to read Ed Brubaker stuff in long format versions because it really does read so much better together. Like when I read Killer Be Killed, 
I really enjoyed it that way. You know, coming out single issue, I was kind of rereading each issue prior. But when I picked it up in trade, I was like, oh, I really like this. And I, and, and I know you heard me say single and trade. I buy a lot of Ed Brubaker stuff over again in trade because I do like the way it reads. But yeah, this was a smart, you know, kind of way to do this. And then on top of it, one of the things they do that makes it cool, and they did it with My Heroes Have Always Been Junkies, and then they did it with Pulp. Four shops, if you usually buy 10 copies as a shop, you get a signed book plate in it. So it's something extra that we can give to our customers or, you know, yeah, the signed plate, book plate editions. So it's a little, it's also, it's encouraging the shop to order more because they want the signed books because like my shop in particular, my boss knows that I love Ed Brubaker. It's a life goal of mine to meet him, you know, and like, so he was like, well, I'm going to order 10 no matter what, because I want you to have a signed book. But then he's like, I also know you can push 10 copies. Mm-hmm. Like we can sell 10 copies because Ed Brubaker is a big enough name with Sean Phillips or Steve Epting, if it had been with Epting, but lately it's been Phillips, it's going to sell. But his books work like that. And I think a lot of people too, there's a, um, I don't know if you read um, Bad Weekend, which also came out like this, but that was actually a story told in the middle of Criminal. It was kind of an offshoot story told because someone's like, hey, you know, told me, they're like, well, you don't have Bad Weekend. And I was like, no, I own it in single issue. And they're like, it wasn't a single issue book. And I was like, it actually was. But they never released that whole trade for Criminal. They just waited and did the most popular story from it in the same format too, so... I think those guys realize that this format works well for them and that they can do this along with those 12 issue series they like to do. But I think from a shop perspective, when it comes to independent mini series, a lot of people just prefer to wait for the trades. So it's kind of win-win by skipping some of that. So. Very nice. Uh, so sometimes we do this um, where we sort of, uh, uh like fan cast either like making it a tv show or a movie so would you like this if this went to uh you know the big screen or the small screen what would you pick would you would you like a movie or would you like uh say like an hbo series of of this well i mean so right off the bat ed brubaker is a pretty well-known writer for tv too because his big claim to fame is on westworld Mm -hmm. you don't know he does a lot of the writing on westworld but he does a lot of other shows as well. Me personally, I think if you gave me a movie that stuck very close to this script, I'd be very happy at the end of that movie. I think if it was a TV show, you know, it'd have to be something like the new Watchmen series where there's a definitive ending. You're not going to try to stretch it for a second season. Sure. And I don't know if TV would let them do that, but I think a movie would be really awesome. The, the problem I run into is, is, is this going to be a popular enough movie to justify that one? If that makes sense. Like, I don't know how many people would go see it, which is where I struggle with because I know the comic is fantastic, but I also know that this writing style with Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips are doing these pulpy crime noir or Hollywood noir, you know, kind of thriller noir books that they like to do. I don't know how big an audience there really is for that. Because every time I hear somebody and I'm like, hey, there's a new Ed Brubaker coming book coming out. And they're like, oh, did he go back to superheroes? <laughs> and I'm like, no, I don't think that's ever going to happen. Nah. Yeah. I know. think you could make a good movie, a successful movie, if you cast Max right. Like if you got a good older 
like seasoned legacy actor like Tommy Lee Jones or think, or someone like that to do to play Max, I think you could get like a moderately successful film. I think you're calling Sam Elliott for this one. Sam Elliott, that's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're calling Sam Elliott and just going, hey, we got a role for you. I would actually know who I'd cast would be um, Tom Selleck. I would like, I'd actually, I think he's the right age now to do this, this part. And he's, he's got the legacy of being the energetic young gunslinger. So to see him play like an aged, like quiggly down under, basically, it'd be great. Yeah. But what do you think, Matt? TV show or movie? Uh, I would think like a three to four issue, like, or not issue, a three to four episode sort of like HBO sort of dirty show. And, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to go a little different. I'm going to go with, uh, maybe sort of maybe aging them up with some makeup, but maybe, uh, maybe like a Russell Crowe for, uh, for, for Max. I was thinking that too, like having uh, a younger actor play an older person so that you could flesh out the past sequences, you know, in a movie. So having someone like, uh, like having some like younger actor who's able to disappear into a role uh like and then age him up with makeup and then have like crazy have a contrast with like these really dark sequences in the present like i guess the the 1930s timeline with these like crazy wild west action sequences in the past that would be really cool I agree. Well, I, I really enjoyed this book. Uh, I'm looking forward uh, to, to the next offering from, from this Definitely. team. Uh, I, I, I think you guys are as well. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Well, um, I think that's going to do it. Uh, Chris, do you, uh, you want to give us a, a final thought on this book um, as, as we close up? Um, all I would say is if you were on the fence about it, just go buy it. It's not going to be something you regret. And when you're out there looking you know, check your local comic shops before you go straight online. Cause like I said, those signed book plate editions are out there. And the cool thing is when they advertised it, it was only signed by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. And there's a third signature on there, which yep. I'm pretty sure is Jacob. And if you haven't read, you know, any of the other Brubaker kind of the, the noir pulpy stuff, I seriously suggest checking that out. Um, my heroes have always been junkies. This has been great. Um, Criminal, Fatal, Killer Be Killed is one of my favorite books that he's done. Um, I too really enjoyed, um, like I said, and if you really want another comics history kind of book with Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips, check out Bad Weekend because that is a fantastic kind of comics history in an aspect kind of way book. So, yeah, and um, Jacob has recently started uh, drawing some some books as as well. I haven't uh, checked those out. Have you? Yes, he is doing a book called That Texas Blood, and it is fantastic. It is very much what his, um, what Brubaker and Phillips did, and it was actually funny. I had a couple buddies that interviewed him and the writer, and I was really expecting him to just talk about, like, how, you know, Ed and Sean kind of mentored this into him, and really, he was like, no, my dad would tell me what I'm doing wrong. Like, or he would tell me like, I didn't like this. He's like, you know, so it was a really interesting kind of conversation because you would think, cause he's done backup stories in their books. Mm-hmm. So they've kind of had him always under the wing and he's been coloring for his dad for a long time. But 
yeah, the um, that Texas blood, it's fantastic in its own kind of like supernatural-ish kind of, you know, crime story. So I don't, it doesn't have a noir feel, but it definitely has the look that you expect. You know, his style is very much like his dad's, but check it out. It's on issue three has just come out and I think four is going to come out this month. So does he, does he color those? Do you know? I think he does. Yeah. Cause I, I feel like I, the art and the coloring. Uh, Cause I feel like some of the, the, the covers I've seen of that almost have the same sort of color palette to them. Well, there is two. So he does a regular cover and then Sean does a variant for okay. it as well. But I believe they're both colored by Jacob. So that's something too, when you're getting it, you know, the A and the B cover, I think only happened for the first two issues. I think three just has one, but there is a Sean Phillips and there is a Jacob Phillips cover. So that's a good deal. Awesome. I'll have to check those out. Yeah, I would really recommend checking that out because it's just been a fantastic story and kind of like there's one overlying story that's going on, but then you're getting these smaller stories, which, and they're all connected. Like that's the thing is, you know, these are all going to be connected and it's going to flush out at the end. So. Very cool. Well, uh, Chris, I want to thank you uh, for, for coming back on and maybe when the, the next Brubaker Phillips and Phillips book comes out, we, we can have you back on or any other time you want to come back on. Yeah, Thank man. you guys. I appreciate it. I always enjoy coming on and talking comics with you guys. So very cool. All right. So anybody listening, if you could give, please give us a rating or review on whatever podcasting service you use. Really appreciate it. If you want to follow the podcast, we're on Twitter at construct Compod. Instagram is constructing comics. Facebook and YouTube is constructing comics. Uh, check out the Facebook page for ageless press. And there is a Kickstarter going on right now for Dino Thrashers. Uh, Noah is the artist on that, and I'm uh, I'm helping out as the uh, the publisher there. Um, so we'll have links to that in the show notes. Um, but I'd like to thank everybody for listening. Uh, please be safe, uh, be nice to each other, and go out there and make some art and make some comics. Thank you. <laughs>